0: So as you know, we have been in the book of Acts uh, loosely with some other input from other people and loosely we're up to chapter four. So I'm going to speak on Powerful something, wow, what could it be? Well, there's all kinds of things, but if you open at chapter four, you'll actually see what it is. So, we had chapter one, and we had powerful preparation. Yeah, do you like the peas? I'm in the peas today. Uh, and we knew that we saw the disciples waiting, praying, and being in unity together. So, in chapter two, we had powerful Pentecost. Hey, that's good too, isn't it? And that was it. Wow, the Holy Spirit on the book of Acts is about this journey with the church. Wow. So in chapters 2 and 3, we had powerful, it's got to be a P, guys, proclamation. Now, I say that because it's about healing, but, you know, they are proclaiming the name of Jesus into healing. And they also were proclaiming and preaching the word in such a way that thousands came to the cross, came to Jesus. So that's a powerful proclamation. So chapter 4, we're on to what happens after that is powerful persecution. Can we have that next slide, Alex? There you go, powerful persecution. Now, if I see you going out to the toilet right now, Kim, I'll be thinking that you want to avoid this topic and you're going to have a long sit, but I've got it wired. Don't worry, you'll hear it in there. No, sorry, I haven't. (laughs) That's what my son said to say. (laughs) How many people have heard a really great sermon lately on persecution? Oh, okay, well I'm on my own, so I've got nothing for you to compare this with, so that's great. Um, You know, uh, powerful persecution, I use this term in two ways. The first of all, it was a very strong persecution. It started and it ramped up. It started in chapter four with uh, a visit to jail for a night and then some interrogation and a warning. It continued in chapter 5 with uh, a visit to the jail, an interrogation, ah, angels getting them out of jail, flogging and rejoicing. It continued in chapter 6 with more inter- and 7 with more interrogation and martyrdom. And then in chapter 8, Christians were fleeing for their lives. In fact, you'd have to say that Holy Spirit is the number one theme of Acts, but a very close one next to it is persecution. Have you ever thought of Acts like that? You think about Paul. And all the stories, they're wonderful stories. You know, the Acts is just the most marvellous book to read. You know, someone's in prison and then the angel comes and breaks them out of prison, and, but not always. And there's shipwrecks and there's, um, oh, so many things. Paul and Chains writing letters. So much, so much persecution. Wow. I want to treat this with great respect. You know, we don't we haven't experienced a deep well of persecution in this country for some time. I believe the Maori people did. But it will come because this is what is prophesied in the Bible. And so, you know, it it behoves us to actually learn and to actually take hold of the principles of God that will keep us in this time. And it isn't all negative, you'll see it today, but we've walked with people in Laos who walked through persecution. So I I treat this topic with great care. Now these people were not giants in the face that God chose for a special assignment. We walked with teenagers who were kicked out of their village because they chose Jesus on very little knowledge, but meeting the Saviour, seeing the Saviour. We walked with older girls who chose it above education because it was a choice. You follow Jesus or... You go further in your education, but not both. We walk with young men who were beaten up by their fathers when they decided to follow Jesus. I had one in my English class who, first of all, denied Jesus. He couldn't stand the beating. And then he couldn't stand not having Jesus. And so he walked off away from his family and his village. We have met with people in Laos who've been in prison. And, you know, it's a great story. In fact, this guy has told us the most amazing story, this pastor. He went to prison. He was in a cell with eight people, I think I've told some of you. And in that cell, every one of those eight people came to know Jesus, and they weren't pleased the hierarchy. So they put him in a filthy, stinking cell with 15 people. You know what happened. Fifteen people came to know Jesus. You know, it's a good story, but I am aware of the cost of that. Laos cells are not hygienic. How long was that before those 15 people came to know the Lord in those cells? How many days did this guy wake up if he slept at all with the stinking smell, the overflowing slop buckets, the lice, the. and on and on. We need to treat these people with great honour who have chosen Jesus. Do you know it's possible to wipe out Christian persecution? Everybody just needs to deny Jesus. That's quite easy, is it? But we can't. You see, that's the thing. That's the thing. We can't. And this is what will hold us in persecution, is the fact that we love Jesus. We just love him. So I hold this with great respect for these people who on an ongoing basis face persecution more than we know about. And I have a a, a terrible statistic to share with you. Now, um, there's a book called Their Blood Cries Out, written by a guy called Dr. Paul Marshall. And he talks about this tragedy of Christians dying for their faith. And he, in 2010, so that's before things got even worse, calculated that there are 200 million Christians worldwide who live with the fear of the secret police turning up at their door on any day, under state repression. 200 million. And that there are more than 60 countries in which it excuse me, it's possible to be harassed, abused, imprisoned, tortured or killed because only because you choose Jesus over them and their way. It's absolutely staggering. You know, Jesus said, if they treat me like this, they will treat you like that because a servant is not greater than his master. Let's read from Acts chapter 4. So there'd been a little bit of persecution when Jesus died and Peter knew about denying Jesus because he did it. You know, you don't always get things right first time and he didn't have the Holy Spirit deep inside him giving him a backbone resilience. But now he did and things are different. So let's read Acts chapter 4. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they're speaking to the people. This is after they'd uh, healed, or God had healed the lame man. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they popped them in jail until the next day. But many, but, many who heard the message believed. And so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. The next day, the rulers, the elders, the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. (coughs) Annas, the high priest, was there, and so were Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest family. Oh, I've got a nasty, you can have it. That was a small cockroach, I think, just so you know. (coughs) They brought Peter and John before them and began to question them. By what power or what name did you do this, that healing? And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, I love that. That's different from before. Said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we're being so called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and being asked to how he was healed, know this you and all the people of Israel. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Oh, that's not tolerant. (coughs) But who God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Excuse me. (coughs) Jesus is the stone You builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone, and salvation is found in no other one. There is no other name under heaven given among mankind by which we must be saved. And when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realised they were unschooled, unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these people had been with Jesus. Wow. But since they could see the man had been, who had been healed standing right there with them, there's nothing they could say. Okay, so how can we say anything when we have you here and you've said, Jesus healed me? It's a sort of a solid rock kind of a thing, isn't it? Someone was at the gate for years on his, with his crutches and sitting down and he's standing before them. So they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then they conferred together. What are we going to do with these men? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows they performed a notable sign and we can't deny it. Oh, good. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. And then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Peter and John replied, okay, that's fine. Yeah. Replied, what is right in God's name to listen to you or to him? You be the judges. And for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. It's just boiling up out of us. It's like Jeremiah says, it will not be stopped. I just can't stop saying it. Because they had that Holy Spirit awesomeness inside and they couldn't stop speaking and they weren't worried about the consequences. After further threats, they let them go. They couldn't decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened and for the man who was miraculously healed, was over 40 years old. Okay, so we move to another scene. And on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard this, they said, just be really careful how you practice your Christian faith now and be very careful not to say anything that could be used against you. Oh, no, they didn't. They prayed to God, Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Psalm 2. They knew it. Why do the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord. Stretch out your hand to heal. Let's not just have words. Let's have the whole works in this time of persecution. To heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. Well, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again, again, yea. And they spoke the word of God boldly. And all the believers were of one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions were their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. And I'm just going to stop there. So persecution is a word that talks about ill treatment because of something we believe or we are. Now, when it's racial, there's nothing you can do to stop it in terms of doing something different in yourself. You know, the Jewish people couldn't stop being Jewish. But when it's Christian, you can deny the faith, and that'll be okay. Everything will be honky-dory with... The people concerned if you deny your faith And you know under extreme pressure There are many people who have actually done that But there's many many more who have have not done that And that's what we think of Do you know but I want to say to you Pray for those who didn't last in the first instance That was Simon Peter That was Simon Peter. He didn't last in the first instance. He denied the Lord. But did God give up on him? Not at all. He knew the destiny he had for that man. And you know, just because you had a bad time and and you didn't stand up in the way that God would have desired you to in a particular instance does not disqualify you from walking in the power of the Holy Spirit in the future. You know, somebody here needs to take that right in here. God's the God of the second chances. God's the God who has more than enough for your future. He's the God who forgives, who cleanses, who breaks the shame off, and who lifts you up for the future that he has in mind for you. And look at Simon Peter. God called him not just to be a good man in the fellowship, but to be a leader of the early church out of A time of denial. God, it's amazing. Don't let your past decide what your future will be. So in Hebrews, Paul says this to people. He says to the believers, remember those earlier Hebrews 10 36, remember those earlier days after you received the light when you endured great conflict full of suffering. Sometimes you were publicly exposed to insult and persecution. Other times you stood side by side with those who were so treated. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. Joyfully. Gee, that's a hard one in this land, isn't it? Wow. So for some reason, being that you follow the Lord... Your house is not yours anymore. Joyfully. Wow. Because you knew yourselves that you had better and lasting positions. So, possessions. So don't lose your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. And Paul exhorts them not to shrink back. Don't shrink back. You know, the blessings are for overcomers. And that's what God is calling us to, out of the darkness, out of denial, into being an overcomer and a victorious person in him. And Hebrews 11 tells us a whole lot of other stuff of the kinds of ways that people of faith stood in the most difficult trials. You can read it yourself, because they were jeered at, they were... Well, here's some things. Flogged, chained, imprisoned, destitute, hunted down, and faced death as a martyr. Sort of puts it in perspective for us, doesn't it? But there were some really good consequences to this. You know, um, our God has a mysterious plan, and I want to tell you now that you will not get your head round it. Sorry, guys, but you will not get your head around the totality of God's plan for this world, for this cosmos, because he is God and you have a small mind. So, you know, it is greatly releasing for us to release our mind to the Lord and say, you give me your mind, and we are promised that by the Holy Spirit, that we can have the mind of Christ, not our puny little mind because we need this. What we're going to see in the future, what we saw in the book of Acts was something that you could not dream up in the human mind. And we're going to see it again, guys. You know, in the midst of things that get darker, we will see the light in ways that we couldn't possibly dream of. So if you want to be part of those people who will see this Stand firm and learn to stand firm. Thanks. Okay, so well, I'm just going to look at some consequences that were good because, okay, some people suffered terribly, some people died, but they chose to because they knew Jesus and they knew where they were going and they knew it would be better because if there's one thing we know about heaven when we can't grasp what heaven really is, it's better, 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 better by far. You know, everything's better. If you like the worship in church this morning, worship in heaven will be better by far. If you like the truth of the word coming out and just getting you and you think, oh, wow, you're going to find more truth in heaven because the whole lot will be revealed by our God. It'll be better by far. If you like the sunset last night, if you like the beauty of the hills, heaven will be better and more beautiful and more amazing by far. And so, you know, this is what we have to get into our heads. Let's get past just our temporal idea of we have to have stuff now. We need to get a much bigger um, dimension in our lives. So the first thing that we find here positive is that this brought great boldness. Now, you would think that a bit of persecution would send people into hiding, Not these guys, because these guys knew that God was more than enough for them in all these things. And they were just in love. They'd met the Saviour, they'd met the Holy Spirit, and they were buzzing with, oh my God, I never knew we could have it like this. And they were in personal contact with Jesus. So no, they were not giving this up absolutely not great boldness Peter and John were really great models they stood firm but when they went back to the church that just wasn't where it stopped the whole church went well we'll have it too God Give us boldness. Let us be like these guys who are leading us. We want to have it too. We're going to piggyback on the stuff that they're getting hold of because we see their lives and we see Jesus and we see what he's doing and thousands coming to know Jesus. doesn't matter about the persecution, but thousands are coming to know Jesus, 5,000 men. And so we'll do the same. God, give us that spirit. So what happened was they saw the power of God breaking forth. Do you know, sometimes it takes uh, a, a persecution, a trial to refine where we are at. It's really good at refining it and at pushing aside the things that are not really very important in our lives. And that's what it did for them. And that's why they were able to count some things not important. This refined what they really thought was important in their lives. So the power of God broke through and shook the building. Now, I'm willing for the Lord to shake the building this morning, even though I don't really like earthquakes very much. I suspect this was a very local shaking. And it was God just saying, I hear you. And I'm on your case. And I'm on your case in a powerful way, not a pussycat way, because God is a lion who roars on behalf of his people. And then we look at Stephen, because I just have to go to chapter six, and I'm just we're just going to read this because I'm talking on persecution. so I want to look just read two verses in chapter six. This is Stephen. Who was one of the godly men in the congregation? Chapter eight. Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power, performed great miracles and signs among the people. Opposition. Oh, surprise, surprise! Opposition arose, however, from members of the of the synagogue of free men. Mm. But what was he like? He was a man who was full of grace and power. You see, what's grace? Well, people say, oh, the unmerited favor, we didn't earn it, we got it. Well, that's nice, but it's more. Grace is the empowerment to walk the life that God has chosen for us to to live, the fullness that he has chosen for us that we can't have in our own strength. Grace. And you know what, when you say, well, persecution, yeah, I'd like to sit on the toilet out there and not hear anymore, thank you, because I don't like that topic, you might be missing out on the grace of God, because what God says is, I don't take you anywhere that I don't go with you. There is not a place, there is not a hole in the ground, there is not a hiding place where I will not be with you. There is not a situation, there is not a horrible thing happening where I will not hold your hand. That is some kind of companionship. That's what God promises us. He had this grace and he had power because he walked in this grace where he didn't care about earthly consequences. He was so into the power of heaven and the glory of heaven. He was so into the glory of heaven that when people stood against him to stone him, he saw Jesus in the heaven directly because he was halfway there already. It wasn't hard for him to to look up knowing this was his last day on earth and see Jesus coming for him. That is a pretty good way to end your life. Okay, so death's messy, but you know the Christian faith is full of death. Let's not get it wrong. It might be full of life, but it's full of life through death. You know, what we preach is that death, is the gateway to life. And we won't have this Jesus life if we don't lay down the Jan life. I won't have the Jesus life if I've got the Jan life because there's not enough room. But if we will lay down our own life, God promises us that we will have the Jesus life and it will be enough for anything. And you see there was rejoicing. This brought rejoicing. This persecution, this hard time brought rejoicing. And you know, Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews said, Jesus is the model in this. You just look at Jesus. When you think about rejoicing in hard times, you just have a jolly good look at Jesus. Let's run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. Why? For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you might not grow weary and lose heart. Fix your eyes on Jesus, guys. Consider him. We've been considering him this morning. How was it? It was special and beautiful, wasn't it? And he says it every day of your lives. Fix Jesus in front of you. Consider him. And that brings rejoicing. And James has got it. You know, James said, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance, finishing its work, means that you will be mature and complete, lacking nothing. So, you know, there's just a little something there. What if it didn't happen? So what if you don't have trials? What if persecution is not you push that away? Well, actually, you can't really. But if you don't have trials, you could be just immature and lacking in what you could have. So, you know, when we face hard times of any kind, let's just gather it up and say to God, okay, give me the results. Okay, I'm in this place, I accept it, but only if I can have your results. Only if I can have the perseverance that will give me maturity. I want to be mature, standing firm in the gospel. And the fourth thing is expansion. This persecution brought expansion. Now, we have to look at the country of China now, when you know about this, and I'm just going to say it, and you know it already, and you say, yeah, 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 but I'm going to just point it out again in China. In 1949, when the communists came to power, there were one million Christians, about around about one million. One million. Whoa, that's a lot. Praise God. I wish there were a million Christians in New Zealand, but there are millions and millions who didn't know Jesus. Do you know how many there are now? Estimate 70 million. But that was 2010, let's make it 90. See, these numbers, we can't get them. We're a wee insular kind of country. We don't work on these numbers, but God does. And he's got 90 million soldiers of the cross in China. 90 million people who chose to have persecution for a season in order to have a reward in heaven rather than to continue with a regime that said, I want to control you, everything about you. 90 million people who've said, no, I will follow Jesus, whether he delivers me or not. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, my God is able to deliver me and he will, but if he doesn't, I'm not following your gods anyway. You know, not everybody does get delivered in this life, but everybody gets delivered. Everybody who speaks the name of Jesus is delivered into the life of Jesus, one way or another. And our puny minds won't be able to choose or understand, but it works. I know it works. So, Radical Christians here stirred up more people, and this is something that happens when you catch fire for God. So, James Elliot, uh, Jim Elliot, or James Elliot, was a missionary young man who went with a group of other young men uh, and families to serve God in the jungles of South America. And he threw away an academic career to do this because he saw what was more important, and he said these words. Catch fire for God and people will come and see you burn. Catch fire for God and people will come and see you burn. Now, I think, I've got this theory, that complacent Christians, if anyone comes to the Lord because of them, they will possibly learn to be complacent as well. I hate to say it, but you're more of a model than you know. Passionate, radical disciples will breed passionate, radical disciples. Wow, well, that's what we want. You know, this is what God is calling us to in this time. You know, the people who overcome in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, it says they are people who. Come on, you know this? Overcome. By the word of their testimony. It's not their testimony about me, it's their testimony about him and him and us. They're overcome by the word of their testimony, the blood of the Lamb. Oh, we know that there's nothing without the blood, the life is in the blood of Jesus. And they loved not their life so much that they would shrink from death. That's the attitude, that is the overcoming attitude. This is to be our attitude as disciples of God is that we don't love our life on this planet so that we will shrink from death if it so be. And the only way to be like that is to have such a hold on our master, such a daily grip of him that we will never let it go. In fact, our hands are so frozen onto him that no one can pry them off him. You know, when people have held on for a long time, you can't get their hands. They've just It's just, particularly if they're frozen on. You know, this is the kind of grip that we need to have on our Lord Jesus. This is what he wants us to do, to passionately love him every day, to passionately say you're the only one And I choose to forsake whatever on this world will not line up with you in order to have the greater blessing of heavenly prizes. Wow, awesome. So, expansion. It's not about moderation. You see, we've got so steeped in moderation. Steeped, I think is the word, in moderation. Toleration. Compromise. And this is not what God's calling us to. And in this new time, God is saying to all of us, arise and get out of this. Get out of it. Depart this place. And walk in a radical, radical excitement with the Lord. Okay, we've got to just learn three little things. And two of them are mindset things. The first thing is, People say, but I am having abundant life. Thank you. Not persecution. I'm up for abundant life. You know, that's what the Bible says. If you you know, belong to God, you're going to have abundant life. But I think we might have abundant in just a wee bit. We've got to think about this. Actually, what it means is it's about quality and it's about fullness of life. It's not about the quantity of life and the things that we have lined up for us in our garage or in our, on our kitchen bench. I'm not that kind of girl, by the way. Abundant life is about the relationship that we have with Jesus first and foremost. The quantity is not important. It's the quality. Because we already have eternal life and it goes on forever and ever and ever and ever. And we just might pass through the veil of death sooner. But what we've got to get is that yes, God gives us fullness of life and persecution comes. Side by side. So listen to this verse when I find it. And this is Mark 10, 29 to 30. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, no one who's left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me in the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, fields, along with persecution. And in the age to come eternal life. Wow. So it's not abundant life or persecution. It's life to the full and alongside persecution. That's what's available. We don't always, it doesn't always happen right now, but this is what could be. So we have to get in our mind this fact that we don't just live in the glorious God give me now. We live in the glorious God, let me give you now. Okay. We need, second thing, it's a mindset thing as well, it's a renewing our minds thing. We need to examine our perspective on death and life, and on now and eternity. You know, the Bible says that God put eternity in our hearts. So he put a longing in our hearts to go beyond the things of this temporal life now. He's already sown that. That's the way he made us. But, you know, we just have this thing about death. And, you know, it's more prevalent out there. I've met people who are so terrified of death, they just don't know what to do with themselves. And it's just good for us to examine our hearts as to what we think about death. And we need to hear in the, in the echo chambers of our mind, Oh death, where is your sting? Oh death, where is your victory? Because it's about the resurrection of Jesus that becomes the resurrection of us into eternal life. Oh death, where's your sting? A thumb, where's your sting? I thumb, what is it? Thumb my nose at it. You know, we need to learn to have this kind of attitude to the veil of death. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, when Christ calls a man or a woman, he bids him come and die. Think about that. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. What he means is die to self die to your own ambitions, die to the the ideas that you had so that you can lay it all down, bury it and pick up the life of Christ because I said before, you can't have both. That's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer believed and that's what he lived and that's what he died for because he died in a concentration camp in World War II and he recognised it before he died. We need to too. Okay, last bit, prepare, number three, prepare. You know, Lorraine told me, where are you Lorraine, that she was with the Lord and she got two words strongly from him, and what were they Lorraine? Um, I don't know, get ready, ready. (laughs) yeah, get ready. You know, there's lots of things we have to get ready for. And if you're an expectant mum, you've probably got your bag by the door waiting for the hospital. You know, if you're like 39 weeks plus, the bag's there packed, ready. Now, I'm not saying you should pack your bag for prison, but we need to, in our own walk with the Lord, get ready. And how do we do that? I've already said it, actually, so I'm just going over it. It's about our relationship, where we hold on so tight It also says, Paul says in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling together of believers. Don't do it alone. When it's tough times, you don't do it alone. You you don't see the Acts 4 people doing it alone. You see them all together having this almighty blast of a prayer meeting that shook the building. That was some prayer meeting. But they did it together together. We've got to do this in life together. So the things I want to finish with are let's not forget those who are suffering because the Lord told us in Hebrews 10 to walk side by side, to stand side by side, and I felt convicted myself. Have I stood side by side with the suffering church, with the two Hundred million people who have at least a threat on their threshold I need to pray more for those people and you know the, the um, prayer here gives us a really good example of how to pray not just for ourselves but how to pray for the suffering church and in a minute we're going to stand and we're going to pray for them So I'm going to read it again so you can know what to pray. Matt, maybe you could just come up. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David, and here it is, the scripture, declare the scripture. And I tell you, as people who want to walk strong and ready, declare the scripture. Know the scripture, declare the scripture. It's so powerful. They've got it. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The heaven, the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. They did what you... So it talks about Pilate and Herod. And they conspired against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and your will had decided should happen. So we want to pray God's will for these people. And, you know, I've heard from several people that, you know, when they pray for us, imagine that, how humbling is that, that people in the suffering church pray for us in the West. And they don't pray... For themselves, and they don't want you to pray for them that they will be taken out of this rough time. They want us to pray that we that they will be bold and that they will have a backbone to stand firm at this time. So we're gonna pray this. In a minute, we're gonna pray this. This is what we need to pray for ourselves, and it's what we need to pray for our brothers and sisters. Lord, consider their threats. And enable our dear brothers and sisters, the servants overseas, to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand, God, and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. That's what they want you to pray for them.